Welcome to The Tangent. I'm Father Sam Kachuba. I'm Matt Sparaza. And today we are joined by Father Joseph Fessio. Father Fessio is the founder of Ignatius Press. Uh, and Ignatius Press is, I don't know, is, is this editorializing too much? Is this being too kind to our guests? I think it's the best Catholic publishing house we've got in the United States of America. Um, I love an, a good Ignatius Press book. Um, and, you know, you'll notice Ignatius Press books by the way that they look. There's a there's a certain quality and that the way the binding is, the way that the font choice, it's it's just the best. Uh, so, Father Fessio, welcome to the tangent. So happy well, to have you, you here with us. That eulogy, uh, uh, Ante DM, but uh, yes, we, we try to make our books beautiful. We use good paper, natural paper, uh, acid-free, and we smice so our heart, our softbacks for the last at least 600 years so we take care of them for that long. Uh, no, we believe to have the beauty of the Catholic faith should be presented in the beauty of the object itself. Mm. Perfect. And it, I think that the beauty of the object itself, the beauty of those books, uh, really doesn't even come close to the beauty that's contained within the what you publish is as important as the way that you publish it and you notice my little idiosyncrasy that we don't print barcodes in our books just like i wouldn't put a, print a barcode on a wedding dress uh mm. we put we put uh stickers on you can peel off because the book is a sacred thing at least it, it, it draws its value from the bible which is the original meaning of a book uh, so we want to we want to make it not a, just a piece of merchandise. Although I never we like realized buy them. we like people to buy them though. <laughs> <laughs> I I never realized that the, that the the barcode on the back was always a sticker. I mean, I I know it's a sticker. I know it intellectually, but I never realized that it wasn't printed onto the book itself. That's fantastic. I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 By um, the way. I'm looking at you, man. I'm looking at your bookshelf there. We can also tell Ignatius Press books because we have that little bar across the spine, so I can see some of our books there. Oh yeah, it's actually quite funny, Father Sam. I see our Bibles behind you. It is Good. yes. It's quite funny. I'm a I'm a theology student, and I just got my textbook uh, for class this semester, The Hidden Manna: A Theology of the Eucharist, and I open it. And the publisher's note was by you. <laughs> I opened it like five minutes ago. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So. Well, I'm very excited because uh, Ignatius, in conjunction with Magnificat, has just published uh, Benedict XVI, Servant of Love. Uh, and I don't quite know how to describe this book. It's it's a photo essay, but with just some tremendous, uh, tremendous vignettes uh, describing the life and the theology and the prayer of of Benedict the Sixteenth, uh, Joseph Ratzinger. Now, Father Fesio, I know that you had the opportunity to uh, study for your doctorate under Joseph Ratzinger. I did. And what was it like having him as a professor, as a as a teacher? It was. He's an extraordinary teacher. Uh, both clarity and depth, and obviously a great breadth of experience in reading, and not just. Theology, but philosophy, the classics, literature, history, music, art. He was he was a man of culture, uh, a very gentle person, a very humble person. And when he gave his lectures uh, in Germany uh, then and probably still now, uh, you didn't go to lectures. You sent one student to a lecture to record it, and then he would transcribe it, and then he'd pass out the transcription to all the students, and that way no one had to go to class. 
but except the one designated student. But his classes were flooded because it wasn't just what he said. It was the way he said it, it was the way, the way he was, his presence. So that was his lectures. But the seminars were uh, really phenomenal. Uh, we call them Hauptseminare, which were the seminars of the graduate students. And one of my fellow students, who now Father Vincent Toomey of Ireland, uh, he and I were both in these seminars, but he had also been in some seminars by Karl Rahner, who was a great, the wonderful theologian, no question about it. In the seminar, you know, a student would present a paper, and then Rahner would speak for the rest of the seminar. With Ratzinger, he presented the paper. He spoke nothing except to encourage comment. In fact, he encouraged people who didn't comment, like myself, whose German was so poor, uh, so that everyone had a chance to speak. And at the end, he would sum up in maybe two or three big, long German sentences what was the content of the seminar, the high points, the context. And he actually made you better than you see, than you were because you put whatever you said in a bigger context. So that was, that was his method. It was a beautiful method of listening. And those people who still say he wasn't a good listener, no, he was a consummate listener. Uh, and he, he absorbed so much, and that's why he was such a great teacher. Hmm. And I think that that teaching ability always came out in his preaching too. Yeah. You listen to his homilies. It was he was able to present these these very important ideas, but he had a, a nuanced way of doing it and a clarity in the way that he that he spoke that was really refreshing and and I think so needed in the life of the church. I don't know if he ever wrote any homilies, but whenever I was with him, kind of celebrating at a mass uh, for our student circle, of student uh, student uh, student Christ. Uh, he would, he, he, he speaks in paragraphs, you know, uh, but, and it's what they call it, Druckfähig, it's, it, it's right in print. Uh, it, everything is so carefully said, so, so synthetically said, uh, and he draws on so much experience. Uh, I'll give you a little anecdote. Do you have time for an anecdote? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, Father Schoenborn, now Carl Schumann, and I were both his students in 1972. And uh, after he was elected uh, Archbishop or named Archbishop of Munich Freising, uh, some of us got together and uh, said, well, can we still keep meeting with you? And we, we formed what's called the Schuler Christ, the student circle, where every year we'd have a meeting with him. And the students would come together. We'd invite a guest referent, they would say a presenter. Uh, we'd have a seminar, we'd have meals together, we'd have mass together. Uh, and one weekend, uh, the readings were on the 11th hour workers, you know, they got paid the same as the ones who had been in the field all day. And it really struck me what he said. And I'll tell you what it was in a minute. But about 20 years later, uh, and every time I get to that passage, I think of that homily. 20 years later, I'm in Southern California with a good friend, Judge Bill Clark, who's deceased now. Uh, and Cardinal Schoenberg was visiting, and I was there, and the Cardinal celebrated the Mass, I can celebrate it, and it was that passage. And how does he begin the passage? He says, well, many years ago, uh, when this passage came up at a Mass with Cardinal Ratzinger, here's what he said, you know, and <laughs> what did he say? Ratzinger said this. He said, you know, the, the people who worked all day in the vineyard, they complained that the ones who came later got paid the same amount. But he said, those of us who have been in the church all our lives 
have been privileged to work in the Lord by the side of the Lord in his vineyard. We shouldn't complain if they get paid the same as we do. We've had the blessing, the privilege of being with them all day. It was just a beautiful thought, you know. But I never, Father Sam, I can say until he became Pope, and I heard many of his homilies and a lot of his classes and seminars, I never, ever was present at a presentation of him where I didn't learn something new. It was just, huh. now, once he became Pope, of course, I, I started as a tabula rasa, a pretty empty vessel there, but uh, once he became Pope, of course, he was, there was some repetition. But before that, he was just a phenomenal cornucopia of insight. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think one of the beautiful things in his in his writing, and is Ignatius Press the exclusive publisher of the works of Joseph Ratzinger in English or just in the United States? Pretty much in English. There's a few wow. exceptions, but we have the world rights, yeah. I mean, there was wow. that's another story. Uh, we began publishing them early on in the 80s. And uh, around 1995, in fact, it was exactly 1995, I had this premonition that he might become Pope someday. And if he did, that he'd have a lot of publishers trying to, you know, get rights to his works. And so I wrote him a letter. I said, uh, you know, dear Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, would you give Ignatius Press the rights to, in English to all your future works? And he wrote back, yes, of course. Well, later on, after he was Pope, he had a visit by a woman who was the, the editor-in-chief of a Catholic publishing company in the United States. And I got this from someone who was present in the audience. She asked the Holy Father, she said, Holy Father, why is it that you only publish with Ignatius Press? And he said, because when no one cared about me, no one knew me, they published my works. Great loyalty. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Wow. But well, back and- to this book, I mean, you said hard to describe. I'll, I'll describe briefly because it's we put this together carefully with Magnifica. They did most of the work, actually. But it has three parts. There, as you said, there's a biography with, with many pictures of him from his early life up until his papacy. So it's a very good, short biography. Then there's selections of his writings on major themes, church, Christology, scripture, and so on. And then the last part is a shorter part, but it's, it's praying with the Pope. And there's selections from his homilies, which are actually meditations on various songs or scripture passages. So we thought we want to put together in, in one book, kind of a sort of one-stop shop. If you want to have a memorial of his life, there it is. If you want to go deeper, you have all the, the kind of signposts of what to look for after. Hmm. Now, I suspect these themes are going to kind of weave together uh, as as you're describing just the way that he taught a seminar and, and how he was able to summarize and synthesize everything that was being said. I think the same thing would happen here. But in those three different parts of this book, uh, would you be able to pull one thing and say this is kind of the defining characteristic of the life of Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI? This is defining characteristic of the thought of Joseph Ratzinger, Ooh. Benedict XVI. Well, I don't have the book in front of me. And I'm actually holding this camera so it won't, my phone so it won't shake. Even if we're here, I couldn't open it up. But nothing struck me. I mean, I, I did notice, you know, one of the one of the, the thematic topics was Christology. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would say the one thing that that uh, characterized him was not a single thing in that book. But he always went to the root of things. Like his book on the liturgy, which I have in front of me here. You know, he, he talks about uh, previous ideas of liturgy as play and so on. He said, that goes only so far. There's no transcendent aspect of play, but he said, let's begin with scripture. He would always go to the to the source, to scripture. And then if there's a 
disputed thing, he would try to go to some common ground. For example, his first encyclical, you know, Deus Caritas is. It's an encyclical on Caritas, right? Charity. Where does he start? He doesn't quote former popes or even fathers of the church. He quotes Plato. Then he quotes Descartes. Then he quotes Nietzsche. And he says, let's look at Eros first and what the common sense of that is. So he, he always went to the deepest depths to find some common ground, you know, hmm. from which you would then take on uh, someone who was disputing with him. So anyway, I guess the answer to your question is no. <laughs> <laughs> There's not one specific thing, but uh, I, I don't know. I look at the life and and his his legacy and this this tremendous theological output, but I, I see in all of it this 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 mind so dedicated to communicating what's true, and to doing it in a way that is that is able to be received. Yes, that, that's absolutely certain. As you know, he did not. Did not want to be a bishop. He was not ambitious at all. He took that because he was asked, 1977. And then he did not want to go to Rome, but Pope John Paul II asked him to do. While he was prefect of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, he tried at least twice, <laughs> after he finished a term each time, to return to Germany. But John Paul II said, as long as I'm alive, you're going to be here at the prefect, you know. And then his pope, you know, he gave that famous speech a week before it seemed at John Paul II's funeral on the dictatorship of relativism. I mean, he, he, we now know from Genswein's new book that he was consciously did that to make sure he disqualified himself. He, he, he did not <laughs> want to be a pope, so he, he came out very strongly, you know. Uh, then he was elected pope. And the proof he wasn't seeking ambition was he retired. He resigned from being pope, you know. Right. Anyway, a, a great man. I, I believe, Father Sam, that uh, well, he, first of all, he died on December 31st. Uh, he was born in 1927 on the vigil of, of the Easter vigil. In those days, it was in the morning. So born at 4.30 in Holy Saturday morning, 8.30, his mom takes him to the church, quite a Bavarian mom there. He's baptized right in the middle of the, of the, of the heart of our church's mystery, you know, the Paschal mystery. I, I had a premonition he would die on some symbolic date, and he did. Because December the 31st, it's not just the end of the year, it's the vigil of Mary, Mother of, of the Church, you know, Mary, Mother mm. of God. And I, what a beautiful set of bookends to that life. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah, but that's, I was, that's a very powerful yeah. observation. Yeah, to see him uh, in the midst of the Paschal mystery and then in the arms of the Blessed Mother. Exactly. You know, such, such a perfect way to go. Yeah. I was always struck. Uh, People would talk about him as the 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 German Rottweiler, the Panzer Cardinal, yeah. the the and and it never made any sense to me because I would I would hear that and then I would read his books and say this this doesn't sound anything like a, a Panzer Cardinal at all. And then when he became Pope and his voice was suddenly amplified because now as Pope he's got to yeah. speak all the time and he's speaking publicly and he'd listen to his voice and. It's not the voice of an authoritarian. It's not the voice of an angry person. It's it's a grandfatherly voice. It was kindly and gentle, and it was so beautiful to listen to him and to to hear him. I remember uh, my parents came over to visit me while I was studying in Rome, and I took them to a papal audience. And as he was giving his his talks, I was trying to 
trying to do a little bit of a simultaneous translation for them from his Italian into English. And I, I just stopped. I said, I'm going to stop because I just want to listen to this. It's too good. And <laughs> and if I, if I keep trying to explain what he's saying, I'm going to get distracted. He's going to say something in English in a few minutes and, and it'll be fine. But he was so kindly. And I remember my mother sitting there listening to him and really attentive. And then she picked up a copy of Jesus of Nazareth, uh, yeah. the, the first volume, the red one. <laughs> As she's as she was reading it, I remember she she started sending me questions, but she understood. My mother's a nurse; she's got no theological background or anything. But she said, "I I understand what he's talking about," and I thought well, that to me is everything. That's one is more difficult books too. So that's kudos to your mom. <laughs> I but I thought it also said so much about his. his it, it does say a lot about my mom. I, I got to praise my mother for for a second. You're right. Thank you. Um, but it says so much about his ability to teach. That someone without a, a, a theological or philosophical background could could pick something like that up and, and understand it, um, yeah. even w- if there are still questions to be asked, to to be able to understand it, it was it was beautiful. And I think that was one of the great gifts that Benedict the Sixteenth gives to the life of the church, uh, yes. to, to teach I mean, the truth and to teach it well. We had a you know early on or not some years ago, we got the book which had two addresses in it, one given by then Arnold Rasker, and one by uh, Jürgen Habermas, who was, and I think still is, the leading theologian of you know, German-speaking peoples. He's, a, he's an agnostic. He's not a Christian or, or a Catholic. But it was a little book, and I opened it up. I started to read Habermas, and I, you know, I, I couldn't understand. Honestly, Father, I couldn't understand a single sentence in that book. And I thought, oh, well, gosh, maybe I'm just losing all my German. I didn't have it to start with, but I can't understand what he's saying. Then I got to the to the rational thing. It was lucid. It was limpid. It was clear. It was beautiful. And he reminds me, uh, you know, a comparison of if you want to learn Greek from the New Testament, you don't go to Paul's epistles because those things are complex and very difficult Greek. You go to John's gospel, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, in the beginning was the word I mean very very simple light you know love you know darkness those things it's all there but it's not it's meditative it's contemplative it's, it's profound but it's not complicated and that, that was rational all the time mm. beautiful um, as we're looking at at not just this book, but really the the entire catalog of Ignatius Press. Um, Ignatius is publishing not only a great theologian like Josef Ratzinger, but you also publish devotionals. Uh, you're publishing literature, uh, some of the, the great classic works of literature. Um, it, as you got Ignatius Press started and, and as you've continued to, to work in this ministry for, for many years, um, what have you seen to be the great fruit of of this publishing house? Well, you're you're right. We began by translating the Lubach from Balthasar, Rasinger, and some other European theologians. We branched out into you know contemporary things, American authors, English speaking authors, uh, children's books, catechetical things, uh, and you know we're we're kind of a family rather than a business. I mean. Most of people have been there for for decades. We're forty five years old, and three or four of them have been there almost from the beginning. But what we do is we, you know, we get a manuscript, and if we like it and think it'll help the church, and it's good, we publish it. 
But we've done novels, as you say, we've done children's books and we continue to do those. And what's been the fruit? Well, you know, we sell about 2 million books a year. So I, I consider books like seeds. I mean, I really want people to read them, although if, they, if, if all you do is buy them, that's okay too. Uh, because books, they lie around and someone picks them up and years later, we've heard many, many stories, many, many stories of people just happened upon one of our books and read it and let them back to the church or into the church. Wow. But, by the way, but you know, when we started, it was after the council in 1978, more than a decade after the council, and there'd already been a great decline in Catholic publishing, and we were kind of the only serious Catholic publisher around at that time. Now I'm happy to say there's many, many good Catholic publishers out there, and it's good because there's also many more good Catholic writings that need to be published. We can't do them all. Don't mm. want to do them all. So I, I have, I, I'm an old man now, 82, uh, and I can sing my nucleus. I think the church in the United States is quite healthy. Look, look what you're doing, Father Sam. There's mm. 600 radio stations, Catholic radio stations in the country. They're all Orthodox. You know, we got Catholic blogs. We got young Catholic bishops. We got seminarians. I mean, the seminarians now, they're either John Paul II seminarians or Benedict seminarians, which means they're serious. Yeah. Well, I, I think that there's a lot of truth in that. You know, the the desire too has grown. What I see is is more and more people are looking for something that's that's real that they can really sink their teeth into. We had uh, here we'd given away some some books and they kind of went nowhere. These these little it was a devotional thing and they they'd been donated, so we we put them out and they they kind of went nowhere. Nobody really cared, um, but we got some things from uh, from Magnificat a Lenten devotional or something. Yeah. And they were gone the first day we had them out. Yeah. And I think there was something about the the presentation, the way that they that they were put out. And then you see the things that people respond to the most too, the the types of of books that people are looking for, uh, the desire to see just something something deeper. We want more and and I think that more and more people are being awakened to that desire to learn and to know their faith more deeply. Yes, for sure. Yeah. You know, uh, two days after Pope Benedict died, January 2nd, it was the feast of St. Cyril, excuse me, Basil of Caesarea, Gregory of Nancyanzen, and then a few days later of Gregory of Nyssa, who was Basil's brother. They were all in the fourth century. They were all prelates. They were all scholars, and they were friends. And they were an illumination for the church in the fourth century, which is a terrible century. I mean, half the bishops denied the divinity of Christ. They were Arians, you know. And so they are fathers and doctors of the church, which stood up tall and, and cast light on a very dark century. I believe if God allows the church to continue for another century or two, which is questionable, uh, that we'll look back on the 20th century and see Henri de Lubac, born in 1896, Hans Christian Balthasar, born in 1905, and Joseph Rasher, born in 1927, as three friends, teachers, theologians, and I would say doctors of the modern church. Mm. That's I my like prediction. I, I like that prediction very much. Doctors You've had some good premonitions this episode, a couple that you mentioned earlier that have come true. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Doctors of the modern church. That's 
Now that's an interesting category. I mean, would would we change and, and like add a, the distinction, or would we just say doctors of the church? Because I think there might be something to doctors of the modern church in that the modern church maybe needs the truth of a doctor of the church proclaimed more loudly and more forcefully than other well, times the problem, in the life of the, the church. I wonder. Modern is that it becomes antiquated. I mean, what we consider modern is, is today, you know, or recent history, but. A century from now, it won't be modern anymore. So that's true. <laughs> except that you know, we're now in postmodernism, right? So uh, I don't know, but I, I would say right now to call them doctors of the modern church, you know, that works. But they'll be just be doctors of the church, and then it'll be, they'll figure out when they lived. You know, yeah. Well, I love it uh, either way because I look forward to the day when that can happen. Do you think that would happen in our lifetime? Not in mine. <laughs> maybe, maybe in yours. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens. You know, Matt and I recorded a, a while back, uh, just before the Holy Father passed away, and we talked about Joseph Ratzinger as one of the important theologians. And before we had scheduled this interview, before we knew that that we even had an opportunity to talk with you, uh, we had been talking about Ignatius Press and reading the Ignatius Press publications of the works of Joseph Ratzinger. And as we were talking about, I said, we're not being paid to advertise Ignatius Press, but if Ignatius wants to send us books, we'll we'll take them. And lo and behold, a week later, we get the book, Benedict XVI, Servant of Love. So thank you very much for hearing our plea and sending us these books. Father, I, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, and sure. giving us this this chance to talk about Benedict the Sixteenth and the great work that you're doing at Ignatius Press, uh, please keep it up. Please keep up that good work. It's it's so valuable right. to us. Father Tom, tell you a lot. Well, I'll tell your listeners and viewers: it, it, read Catholic books as part of your spiritual regimen, and buy them at your local Catholic bookstore if at all possible. Support those Catholic bookstores. Those people are doing wonderful work, and it's not very rewarding financially. If you can't, you don't have books there to buy you. You go to Ignatius.com. The third choice is the behemoth if you have to, but I would say bookstore, our website, and then Leviathan. <laughs> we, we don't have to say the name. It's okay. We That's understand right. okay. what you mean. Yeah, everybody knows what it is. <laughs> I will thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. God bless you and your work and all the people who watch you and listen to you. Thank you very, thank very you, much, Father Fessio. All, all right. God bless you. Bye. Take care. Okay, so this is a little postlude to our interview with Father Fessio. It's uh, it's me, it's Matt, and... Father Sam. Father Sam. That's it. It's just us two. Sorry to It's just us. Um, what a guy. My... <laughs> what a guy. Yeah, yeah. Incredible interview. My favorite point from that interview was the... And, and it was something that didn't didn't necessarily get mentioned explicitly, was how he spoke about how Benedict XVI has a way of simplifying right making not not necessarily simplifying the doctrine but simplifying it in terms of teaching um and elevating you after like for example in that that anecdote about the seminar that your comment got elevated by him uh but then he mentioned later on how ratzinger would pull from uh he said plato uh and descartes you know and 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 other philosophers and i kind of thought well he's doing that exact same thing He's elevating these these men's you know teaching in that same seminar style. Insofar as he's taking what everybody else said and and bring it up higher. Yeah. Um, 
And I think that's the key to a good teacher. You know, Fulton Sheen said that, you know, if you, the, the best teacher is the one who can teach a six-year-old, you know, and, and not, not saying that that's what Ratzinger was doing, but that idea of, you know, taking everyone's thoughts, elevating them, but doing it in a way that is comprehensible. Yeah. Well, I was at Pope Benedict XVI's first World Youth Day. Okay. And following on the heels of the giant John Paul II and his incredible ability to connect with the youth and mm -hmm. to speak to them and to to just get young people fired up and, and excited about the faith. I can tell you at Cologne in 2006, listening to Pope Benedict XVI address millions of young people for the first time, specifically reaching out to, to the young, mm -hmm. everyone was listening to him hanging on on every word there was he had an ability to connect it was completely distinct from what john paul ii could do right john paul ii connected on a different level and i'm not even sure exactly how to describe what that level was but he connected on a different level but when benedict spoke you knew he was speaking to you and you knew that he had something to say that was of value for you yeah and often he was building up this this foundation so you've you've read plato or you've you've studied these different things you've heard of these ancient philosophers uh, maybe you've just heard rumors about it <laughs> like somebody right. once mentioned it as a side comment in a history class that you took well i'm going to tell you what they said and then i'm going to add to it so that you can see how it actually connects very much to the gospel that we're here to talk about today and then he would draw out these other truths and you start to realize that the whole uh, the whole proposition of the gospel is profoundly rational reasonable mm -hmm. and so able to be understood um yeah it's incredible how through through a teacher like ratzinger the truth that is the person of christ christ is the way the truth and the life you know we live in such a society that it's so easy to be even it's e even to be a christian who just like adapts like I don't know. It's almost like Christian atheism, you know. It's like naturalistic views of the world, but but Ratzinger is a guy who just pulls everything together, and you see that it's all centered on Christ. You know, like there's nothing divorced from Christ, right? You know, and that's incredible. And I think that's why it's very fitting that Ignatius Press is the one that's publishing his work, because mm -hmm. the. Let's just go back to the style. We started with this with Father Fessio, the style and the way that Ignatius publishes. Th their books have this simplicity. There's there's nothing wasted. There's nothing extra. It's very to the point. This is this is what we're about. Um, they're not wasting space. They're not wasting graphics. Uh, they're simply presenting to you the gospel. And so when you pick up an, a book published by Ignatius Press, especially when it's in their theology or their catechesis or, or that kind of stuff, when they when you go into their, their literature, it's whatever the great work of literature might be. But when you pick up one of their books, like, you know, you are about to read about God. You're about yeah. to hear something from the gospel. It's, it's going to make things more clear to you. It's going to teach you something. That's a pretty good reputation. <laughs> like that's, but that's what you're going to get. So yeah, I, I'm so thrilled that we got to have Father Fessy on. This is the the coolest interview we've had. <laughs> it's so cool. We've had a chance to to talk to some really interesting people, but man, to talk to a former student of a pope. Yeah, oh, it's no, a, no it's big a deal. high bar. Yeah, he just happened to study under 
Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. Oh, and and before that, by the way, he also studied under Hansars von Balthasar. Right. Yeah, so, pretty good. Like, in addition, he was it von Balthasar. Or was it Delubuck? Um, let me check here. It was it was one of those guys. Oh, it was Delubuck. I'm sorry, it was Delubuck. Uh, yeah. So also again, good. though, yeah, come on, yeah. he studied under under some of the most important theologians of the last century, and we just talked to him. Yeah. But what we is do our life, also Matt? love our other guests. We do, but Matt, what is our life that we got to do that? That is insane. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's a little bit of Catholic uh, fangirling here or something. I don't know, <laughs> yeah. but I'm just like I'm so fired. You up guys can't this. see Father Sam, but his face oh, is a little red. <laughs> I'm turning red. I'm so excited about this. Listen, we got to end this podcast because I need to just sit and breathe for a little while, do some deep breathing exercises. This has been so powerful and beautiful. Man, what a day. <laughs> Hey, this is The Tangent. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch us on Veritas Catholic Network, uh, 103.9 FM. uh, 13.50. 13.50 AM if you're in the greater Connecticut area. Uh, Find us on uh, Veritas.com. Is that it? The Veritas? I'm messing this up. I'm so flustered. There's links in the description. Don't worry about it. We love you. God bless you. Father Sam Kachuba, Matt Sparazza, The Tangent.